What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome to the Dennis and Friends podcast, a place where my friends and I talk about whatever we want to talk about, whatever interests us, or what's going on in life and around the world. My name is Dennis Garvin Jr. I host this podcast, and welcome to episode number 11. And today we're doing kind of a random, spontaneous, last minute sort of thing today. I've got two of our previous co hosts back with me this week in person Josh Anahosa, Taco Josh 114, and Arth Vader. Justin Arth is here uh, in Texas. We are doing this live together in a secret location. Uh, It's really not that secret, but it's somewhere. In the bunker. (laughs) In the bunker, sure. It's indeed the bunker. Yes. So excited to to do this uh we just had some delicious water burger because we're in texas and you know justin has to get brainwashed about good texas food while he's here i've already been brainwashed yeah exactly okay so this episode we decided on yesterday and we've got a myriad of topics that we're just gonna randomly quick hit what sat word yeah (laughs) I'm keeping that in there <laughs> if it picked up. Um, gosh. So we are going to do kind of like, I guess the way I, I put it in my notes was PTI style of like we have like a timer for like each thing just so we have, because we have like 10 or 11 things to get through. So I don't want to like get stuck on most things too long. I think there's one that you and I just mentioned that we'll probably need to go long on. But mainly sports, but we have... One thing we're gonna end on that's very, uh, <laughs> very interesting. So let's go ahead and get into it. These two guys were a part of the Super Bowl mega cast episode, and so in that spirit, we're gonna briefly recap the Super Bowl, even though it was it feels like a millennium ago. So Justin, why don't you start? I'm gonna start the timer now. We're gonna do about five minutes of this. Ready, set, go. Obviously, uh, for all of you, you already know the Super Bowl score was 23-20 Rams. Uh, I even had to kind of look at it and remember myself because it's been about two or three weeks now. But, uh, but no, I, I think everything that we, we showed and we talked about from the megacast, or at least everything I said, legitly happened other than the fact that Cincinnati didn't win the Super Bowl. So my prediction was right, minus the score. Um, I think... Cincinnati really did show defensively they would cause problems for Cincinnati or excuse me for uh, LA uh, but LA's offense did go out there and and put points on the board um, or at least move the ball um, Odell Beckham was massive for them uh, until obviously he went down with that uh, ACL tear um, and I uh, in the group chat with everybody during the Super Bowl even said I think Burrow wins this game if he doesn't have that MCL injury uh, that we found out later to be an MCL sprain so um, it, it was a really good game by both teams. I think well evenly matched, even though the Rams came out kind of firing and Cincinnati had to come back. Um, I mean, Stafford again proved why he is Matthew Stafford and that he can actually be um, not considered Matthew Stafford anymore. He can be considered a potential Hall of Fame quarterback with his performance. Um, granted, Cincinnati did force two interceptions, but one was pretty much going into halftime. And another one happened, uh, I think, later in like the third quarter where L.A. still had a large enough lead um, to hold them off. But Joe Burrow, amazing game. I still think they would have won the game um, if it weren't for the injury that Burrow had late in the fourth quarter. And how about Mixon? One for one, six yards and a passing touchdown. Best quarterback in the game. 
Yes, best quarterback in the game for sure. Uh, had a 1,000% uh, completion percentage and a 100 quarterback rating. But one statistic I'll, I'll leave you guys here with is it is now eight consecutive years that the team that has won the coin toss lost to the Super Bowl. Wah, wah, wah. So uh, can we uh, beat that next year? Can we end it next year? Or is Arizona uh, and Kyler Murray going to do it next year uh, with this new streak of home stadiums? So, I mean, that, that's all I've got to say about it. Uh, congratulations, all the Georgia Bulldogs that, uh, that won that game. Happy for you, even though I voted against you. Um, it was a hard game to root for because I had rooting allegiances on both sides. So I think uh, I, either way, fair team won. Uh, it was a great Super Bowl. I So I feel really good for Stafford, and I feel good for Odell because I think it would have been a shame if both of them had gone their whole career without winning a Super Bowl. Uh, so, like, honestly, feel really good for them. The Rams' running game was kind of awful. It was like it was a non-factor for most of the game, and Stafford like played them out of it. It's not like Stafford was incredible and put on this generational performance, but Stafford was really good. I mean, Burrow was really good. The injuries tough for Burrow and for Odell, really. Yeah, I don't know. I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised that it was a good game because I thought it had potential to be a blowout. But yeah, it was a pretty pretty solid game. I thought. Overall, I don't have much else to add because I've already stated on previous episodes how I felt about the game, but I'm glad it was a fun game. Anything else before we move on? Kickers win championships <laughs> per Josh. Well, except it was Cooper Cup this time, not kickers, but sure. And Odell. And Odell. Uh, next, let's talk about a current situation that we actually still don't know the finality of it. I thought we were going to come into today thinking that, oh, we know what happened with this situation and it's still going. We're referring to the MLB lockout that just seems to go on forever and ever and ever. And currently, the league and the Players Association are in negotiations right now to have a deal done by 4 o'clock our time, 5 Eastern today, or else they'll start canceling games. So resident baseball experts here between the both of you, but Josh, I'll let you start. Uh, tell us what you think about the situation. I'm fairly positive that there will not be a large chunk of the season. I was a little bit worried about that even a couple of days ago, but at the time of recording, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. At the time of recording this, I'm fairly confident we may miss a week or two, but I don't think it'll be a month or two like I thought couple days ago even I don't know it seems like there was momentum building last night uh on Monday night towards getting a new deal the I mean the owners finally showing a willingness to negotiate is big because before that it was like the players offering stuff and the owners being like yeah but what if we offer you the same thing that we just offered you like that's not a negotiation but now it seems like there's actual negotiating momentum happening so I don't know. I'm I'm pretty uh I'm pretty confident we will see 130 games plus this year. I don't know that we'll see 162 because I'm not confident. Like the last mile is going to be tough, but we're there now. So I don't know. It feels it feels like we'll have 
baseball. I completely agree with you. Um, just saw a tweet here from Michael from Michael Silverman. I'll show you here, Josh, too. So uh, this was as of 1.20 p.m. today, um, and it's 1.45 currently where we're recording. Uh, Rob Manfred was over here playing golf uh, instead of negotiating. So <laughs> I, I think that shows you where we're at in the negotiations Golly. here. Um, so I think the last two holdups were based on, like, minimum uh, roster salary or and then uh, what was the other one? Yeah, C- CBT or or what or something. There was like two major holdups um, there with the CBA, and I think they're gonna at least play 130. Um, I want to see uh, the MLB lockout over, so the Braves can go ahead and sign Freddie Freeman. Even though obviously that looks uh, not very likely, even though we were the 580 million dollar range in the um, in the profit. Liberty Media, please don't uh, ruin me like this, but. Um, <laughs> I follow you and all your sports way too much uh, for you to continue to do this to me. But anyway, long story short, Major League Baseball, I think it's going to get done sooner rather than later. Uh, Per Tom House, when I had some conversations with him, he's friends with uh, Super Agent Scott Boris. He was saying how he doesn't think it's going to be until July that they get a deal done. But I think the owners are starting to realize that uh, they can sacrifice a month or two, but players are finally starting to negotiate. Owners are negotiating, so... Probably going to get this thing done sooner rather than later and maybe 136-game season It's my, my guess. What a redemption story for Bob Nightingale, by the way. He went from being like a class <laughs> clown to like an American hero in one night last night. Bob Nightingale, if you're not around baseball Twitter, which I imagine is most of you, is a meme for baseball Twitter. But last night he was actually doing like good good things. He was actually reporting and was the one like on top of everything, which never happens for Bob. So he's finally figured out how to be a good reporter, I guess, which is good considering his uh, chosen career path. Yeah, but you would imagine. Yeah, just what a, what a comeback story for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Bob Nightingale. Dude, the fact that Manfred's out on a golf course right now just just further proves that he is a moron. I do not like that guy, and that just that kind of angers me. I'm looking. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? <laughs> Dude, he's got he's got to get around in, dude. Dude, it's not like he's the president of the United States, like <laughs> hanging out on the golf course. But like, hey, golf is how you get a lot of things done. I mean, there's a lot of business deals done on a golf course, so I guess. But he's probably not out there with anybody. Anywho, uh, I'm the I'm probably the pessimist of this group because my uh, care and appreciation for the MLB has waned through the years, in part because the Rangers suck. But in part because the product has not been good lately, minus a few exceptions. I think this is going to be all for show and that we're just going to get a longer extension of this lockout by the end of the day today. I'm, I don't feel very hopeful um, that anything will get done today, but that's just me. Yeah, well, see, that's kind of where I felt like three days ago whenever I found out that they were going 15 minutes and they weren't even talking anymore. Once I heard that, I was thinking, okay, we're not doing anything for – at least five months, but then they've progressed extremely fast yeah. over the last couple of days. A lot so faster that, than I thought. That's that's what's given me the the reassurance or the hope again that we're going to actually actually have a season here. Let's switch gears back to football. We're gonna not have a timer for this one because this is a little bit heavier. Um, this happened about a month ago, I think. At this point, this was this. Oh yeah, this news broke literally on February first. Talking about Brian Flores and his class action lawsuit that he filed against the league and against the Broncos, Giants, and Dolphins specifically, alleging discrimination regarding his interview processes with Denver and New York, and then when he got fired by the Dolphins 
uh, last or in January. Now he is a what is it defensive like assistant? Yeah, defensive assistant for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, there we go. So at least he has a job, which is good for him. Justin, you start. Yeah. So I mean, I, I a lot of this situation comes down to um, we don't have the same representation of ownership groups in the NFL. Um, and so just to kind of, if anybody doesn't know about the situation now, I, I think you should, but I'll just kind of lay it out. Uh, Brian Flores, former coach of the Miami Dolphins, now senior defensive assistant with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he uh, was asked by then Miami owner Stephen Ross, and he's still the owner of the Miami Dolphins, uh, but probably shouldn't be. Um, he was asked uh, in his contract to lose games, and for every game that he lost, he would give him $100,000 of a game check for, for losing. Um, and a lot of that kind of stems down to uh, we hired a black coach, we want to make sure that we're following the, the Rooney rule and having black representation from the coaches in the NFL. We also want to pr- uh, prove that our next coach that we hire is not going to be a black guy because we've given the black guy a, a chance, but we're forcing him to lose behind closed doors or under the table by sneaking money in uh, to say, oh, okay, black coaches are failing, they're, they're losing. Um, so uh, there's that situation, but then obviously once he was let go uh, by the Miami Dolphins, um, and my opinion on him being fired is I still think he should have been let go um, because he showed signs of, okay, first five or six weeks of the season they're one of the worst teams in the NFL and then he'd rattle off eight nine ten wins in a row almost to end the season and actually be in playoff contention Uh, but how much of that is Brian Flores how much of that is now this information that's coming out now about Stephen Ross um, and paying him under uh, under the table for every loss that he had and then Two is not to or two has got a lot to blame here too. Uh, two is a guy that I like, uh, but I still don't think he's a long-term answer. Uh, he, I think he's a decent starter. But yeah, so he was fired. Uh, going back to Flores, he was fired, and then searching for other positions, and was kind of brought in as a, a catch-all for a lot of teams to have these like vanity interviews where uh, we're checking off the Rooney Rule, saying we've interviewed a black coach when we have no intent to hire. Um, And I think that just shows that we've gotten to the point in NFL hiring processes that the Rooney rule is great in principle, but there's a lot of loopholes around it that need to be changed and need to be fixed. These are owners that we're talking about. They're multi-billionaires. And if you were a multi-billionaire, you would run the business the way you want to. Uh, The way I heard it on uh, Mina Kimes' ESPN podcast from a defensive back that wants to be a general manager one day in the NFL and things like that. As he said, like these owners are hiring people that they legitly want uh, to have a beer with. So if you're, I mean, they're going to choose people that's gonna, that's similar to them. Um, and, and if you were running the business, you'd run it the exact same way because that's what you feel would bring success. There, There's fault, I think, on a lot of different sides, but Darren Flores' hiring process, he received text from Bill Belichick uh, congratulating him on the – uh, what team was it? Uh, the Giants. The Giants. Jo- yeah, Before the Giants job. Table. Yeah, uh, saying congratulations on your on your coaching job with the Giants, and he's like, oh, well, I'm actually heading up there today for my interview. Uh, thanks for, I guess, the early early text. And then Belichick was like, oh, this was meant for Brian Dable. Um, and so there's a lot of different things there that is kind of showing that. These are phantom interviews is the word I was actually looking for earlier. For Flores, who I think is a solid coach, deserves to be a head coach uh, in the NFL, but Miami just wasn't the right fit for him at this point in his career. The biggest thing
biggest thing is we're not really going to see change here until the culture's shifted from uh, not just black representation as players, because uh, I'll tell you as a, as a professional athlete myself uh, playing football, 80, 90 percent of the guys that I'm in a locker room with, they are black. And I'm one of the few uh, white guys I, I even see anymore. Um, so it's obviously well represented in terms of players, and it's been that way for a while. Um, and then you're seeing it in assistant coaches, but you're not seeing it in head coaches um, because of these phantom interviews. But if you keep going up the chain, it gets less and less and less and less representation. And I'm all for uh, representation, but I also have to stand on the fact of like the NFL is a cutthroat league and it's all about production too. So you can't just put somebody in just for representation purposes because then you're defeating the purpose of that too. So I think it's a very touchy subject, uh, but until we truly have more representation from ownership groups. The culture of the NFL um, in terms of the leadership uh, and the direction the league is going isn't going to change until the ownership groups change. And the only team that potentially has an ownership group opening up right now is the Denver Broncos. And I, last time I checked, I haven't seen anyone of black nationality or of black culture saying, I want to buy the Broncos. So it's a big issue, big topic in the NFL, and we've still yet to hear really all that's come from that settlement. That, that's all I've pretty much got to say on it. Uh, I'll let Josh kind of piggyback and do whatever. I think that the idea of the Rooney Rule is good, like you said, in principle. I don't know that it's executed very well. There's no other way, I think, that you could do the Rooney Rule or word it where it's like you have to interview a minority coach. I think that the way they have it worded is right and there's no other way that you could but you can't like you can't mandate people's ideas on how to like bend the rule if that makes sense. Yeah. If you go in and you're like and this could be for any job right we'll say head coach as an example you go in and the first guy you interview happens to be Caucasian or white and he knocks it out of the park with his interview. You're like, this is the guy, no matter what. You could interview five more white people. You could interview two African-Americans. You could interview an Asian-American, whatever. But if you're like set, oh, the first guy we interview, he knocked it out of the park and we're good, then it's going to look bad anyway, right? I'm not saying that's what happened here, but potentially. But yeah, there's no other way to do the Rooney Rule, I don't think. And so we talked about representation, or Justin talked about representation in the locker room. I think that's like, it's not just like a problem of like, oh, African Americans are in football. Like it is a big, because obviously they are, but it's like the same thing in like business where like the Starbucks thing, like four years ago, we were like, we are inclusive and we love all races and whatever. And then you go look at their like CEO and like upper management and they're all white people. So it's not just like an NFL issue. I think it's like a national it's issue. It's a societal issue, yeah. 100%. So like, but part of that is, like Justin said, you want to hire people that you'd go out with, you'd go have dinner with, you'd have a beer with, you'd watch a game with, whatever. And so until we get to the point, unfortunately, until we get to the point where African Americans are running companies more regularly or teams or whatever, we're not going to see a lot of African-American representation on the upper end because the African-American representation on like the lower end of just like, you know, if you're at Target, just like the normal, you know, the stalkers or whatever, like there's African-American representation there and nobody's arguing that, right? It's the like, once you get up higher, 
why are all these jobs going to white people instead of? I don't know that he's going to win the legal case because technically they followed the rule and it's tough to like prove that they weren't going to hire him no matter what. Like there's no way to go in and prove that without some kind of like solid text or email or something, uh, which I assume they don't have because otherwise the NFL would have settled out of, you know. So the NFL clearly thinks they're going to win. I think the NFL actually did send a settlement to Flores is why, and he turned it down because he was willing to put his job on the line for, uh, or a job on the line for uh, the, the issues that he's fighting for. I do think what will help him in his corner, I do agree that he'll probably lose the case, but I do feel like what helps his case is the Stephen Ross issue. Um, Stephen Ross has had multitudes of issues in his time as an NFL owner, um, and the NFL may be forced to try to force him out of the ownership group of the Miami Dolphins and force the Dolphins for sale. And Miami is a city uh, with, obviously, huge Cuban heritage. There's a lot of African-Americans that live there, too, and uh, because of the culture of Miami, there might actually be people want of that type of uh, realm of life that would want to purchase the team down in Miami and the things that you can do with it. So, um, but yeah, that, that's the thing. Uh, but we talk about some of the coaches that have hired. This isn't a slight to any of the coaches that have been hired even in this uh, coaching cycle. Um, but why does, like, okay, let's look at the Giants coaching hire uh, previously. Joe Judge, special teams coordinator for the New England Patriots. He only got hired solely from the basis of he was a New England Patriots coach. And why would you hire a special teams coach? He, he doesn't know anything about offense, doesn't know anything about defense, or at least at the NFL level doesn't. But then you've got guys like Eric Bieniemy, um, who I've heard doesn't interview well um, in terms of jobs, but wins over a locker room of guys and is an amazing football mind with what you see he what he's doing in Kansas City and and obviously that's a benefit towards Kansas City and it will be moving forward especially with all their cap issues that are going to be arising and trying to keep a good team together but I mean why is a guy like Eric Bieniemy, uh who I'm a huge fan of or even Hugh Jackson for that matter good offensive minds in football um, and there's plenty of great defensive minds too um, in football that aren't really given as much of a fair shake when if they were the same person, but maybe they were white, they probably would have been the number one Sean McVay hire already. Um, and so I'm still someone that's uh, bases everything off of merit. Uh, you've got to have the resume to do something. Um, and so I don't care if you're white, black, Asian, uh, Hispanic, whatever. If you've got the resume to do it, you're my guy. Uh, but again, it's an ownership issue, and the owners are going to choose who they want. They want their team to be represented by, and that's and it's a societal issue too. So until we see more representation and in, um, in some of those positions, so those guys can prove that hey, we're just like everybody else, and we can do a great job at this, um, then maybe the narrative starts to change. But until that time, who knows? I think change is coming in the sense of there is a wave of black athletes right now. When I think about LeBron James, think about Mark Ingram, who owns, who has part ownership in an MLS team. Kevin Durant, same thing. This wave of, of black athletes who are doing their own business ventures that are kind of preparing themselves for something like that, where I think in the next 10 to 15 years, there will be more, not just in the NFL, but I think across the whole like big four sports league spectrum, you should be able to see more representation in that regard. I want to believe that Flores is going to win this case. I don't think he will because just uh, based off of history, based off of uh, how things are, which sucks. I hate saying that. I will say I agree with what you said about the Stephen Ross stuff kind of helping him. And I also think the Belichick 
text help him in that regard? Because I feel like knowing what we know now about Brian Flores and stuff that he said lately um, in like interviews and when he got up on ESPN and like the day after the lawsuit came out and stuff like that, finding out more about his character, he has the right intentions. And I, and I think he would have done something like this anyway, like down the road. But I, to- I think I told you off air, Josh, that the straw that broke the camel's back was the, the Belichick text. Oh, yeah. None th- of this happens if Belichick can operate a phone. Yeah. <laughs> like, the fact that he, that that even happened, I think, gave him the merit to, to put out that lawsuit in confidence that he has a good shot. Part of me thinks that he would have done it anyway, but he probably wouldn't have felt, like, great about it. I think he has a better chance, not to say that he has, like, the majority, like he has like a very high probability of winning this case, but he does he does have a better chance because of that one like critical piece of evidence, if that makes sense. Well also I don't know that his goal necessarily was to win the lawsuit. Yeah. I think it was just to I like, think it's just get raising it awareness. Out. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways. And which he has big time because I mean, we're talking about it. Lots of sports media people have talked about it. And it's highlighted, re highlighted um, what has been happening like in the NFL specifically. Um, as a league who compared to say the NBA who has done more things to like push towards a greater society more inclusivity all that stuff the NFL is kind of you know they're a little slower MLB's a little bit slower in that way too well I'll say too the major, major league baseball is probably further along in yeah. minority ownership stakes and, yeah. and all that of it, than what the NFL is because yeah. right now the NFL is simply just saying black lives matter on their helmet or um, whatever the end zone lines are saying. Inspire change. Yeah, inspire change. And, yeah, all the slogans are great. They're amazing. Uh, But until change really starts to happen, like – Okay. Yeah, where are we going? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not going to. Yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. So, yeah. I mean, and that could segue perfectly into the Derek Jeter situation too. Yeah. Because uh, I think Derek Jeter should still be in ownership. Now, granted, it's his decision to leave, and we'll get into that whenever we get into it. But well, let's get into it now. Oh yeah. Uh, let's get into before it. Before we do, I do want to update on the CBA stuff. Jesse Rogers from ESPN. He covers both the Chicago teams. Best offer is coming before five Eastern time per MLB official sounds like take it or leave it so we should know something here in the next couple hours or actually real much sooner than that yeah one thing I have heard from the CBA talks is the players are still not going to be very happy it seems like they're going to be forced into a deal and then that even says the same thing that I was hearing like last night so the players are not going to be happy with what they're given and we'll probably have another lockout pretty soon yeah probably so okay well, you already talked about it a little bit. Let's set the stage now uh, for Jeter. Derek Jeter stepped down as CEO and relinquished his stake in the ownership. It was like the, 4% stake. Yeah, yeah, something like that, of the Miami Marlins yesterday. Kind of out of nowhere. Uh, so I'll do this really quick. I'll let Josh probably talk more about it. Essentially, I was reading some articles about it, and it was very surprising for me to see Jeter gone, um, knowing that his biggest – dream after playing and being a Hall of Famer was to be an owner of a Major League Baseball team. Uh, But the more I kind of read into some articles about emerging details, um, I can definitely understand why he did. So his kind of grievances were he had disagreements with other ownership uh, people in the ownership group uh, that made him believe that the team wasn't 
wanting to win baseball games um, and that the organizational culture hasn't changed in the in the number of years. I think it was like three years or something now that he's been an owner, uh, that the organizational culture hasn't changed. And then it was all kind of spearheaded or like the straw that bo- broke the camel's back was Bruce Sherman, one of the owner, one of the other owners, approving Jeter's request to spend an extra 10 to $15 million on free agents this offseason once the lockout ended. Uh, but then they quickly reversed that saying, oh, we're fine the way that we're at. Um, and he was like, all right, I- I'm done. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Uh, so I'll go on record and say I think the Miami Marlins experiment was a failure, not on Jeter's perspective, but I think uh, going back to the Brian Flores situation with how we need more representation and good representation of ownership groups, Derek Jeter still is someone who I could see owning the New York Mets or another organization where if he could have majority ownership, he would definitely run a very, very tight ship in a great organization. I think he just didn't have enough organizational power here to to do any change, really. Yeah, so the Marlins GM is Kim Ung, I believe. She's the first female GM in baseball for sure, and she might be the first female GM in any sport. Yeah. So that was big news. So, like, on that front, I think Miami's doing well. It's just, like, a matter of I don't think Miami wants to win or they don't want to win yet in baseball because uh, they have – yeah. So, like, they have one of the best young, like, pitching staffs in baseball right now, like Sixto Alcantara. Like, they have guys, right? Trevor Rogers. They're They're in a position that a couple of bats and they're, like, in a wild card spot, especially if, like, 12 or 14 teams are getting in. Like, yeah. they're suddenly right on the bubble of a playoff spot. Yeah, like they were in the COVID year. Well, hey, if the CBA deal doesn't go through in a shortened season, we see what the Marlins can do in a shortened season. They're a playoff team in a shortened season. They just suck in 162. Exactly. Uh, no, but Jeter stepping down, it's like Jeter wants to win. He's a competitive guy. So I kind of get it if the owners are like, no, we don't want to win. And Jeter's like, well, we're wasting our time then. Uh, so I'm stepping down. Yeah, I don't, it just comes down to like, dude, owners, if you own a team, you got to want to win, man. It's not like a, I own the Clippers as a hobby. It's like, no, we got to win games. That's yeah. why we you have fans. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I'll take a quick second and talk about the Braves ownership group, Liberty Media. It's a company. They are treating the Braves like it's a, a, a business. They want to see profit gain rather than profit loss. And so they're not going to spend more than what they make. And then that's obviously why a lot of Braves fans are mad that the Braves released how much money they made last year as the number one team in baseball in terms of earnings. And you still won't sign Freddie Freeman. I think the Marlins uh, Jeter situation didn't work out, but I think he's definitely on track to be an owner somewhere else. And you saw the change that he's brought. He was, he was a big advocate for the five year lose now uh, win by year five of his five year contract. Um, and they were kind of doing that, but I think the Marlins had taken steps to want to actually win now, and Jeter wanted to accelerate that process, and the ownership group's just kind of happy with where they're at because they know they're the fourth or fifth best team in L.A. East every single year. I'm reading this bit from an athletic article that it sounds like Jeter and the the principal owner of the team, Bruce Sherman, sounds like they had a falling out, and that's probably why Jeter said, well, the vision of this club is different than what it was five years ago when I joined. I do think like Justin said that he will eventually be a majority owner at some point just because of like you said he's able to run a tight ship and somebody of that stature with that much significance in the baseball world still 
can't not have him. And the fact that he was the only black like person in ownership, I think, across baseball in general, even though it was 4%, uh, is a big deal. And so having him in the fold in the in the future would be really nice, especially in a majority or complete ownership sense. I think you can deal with the falling out if your team's winning. We saw that with like Brady and Belichick. They maybe weren't on the best of terms for the last, we'll say, decade of their thing. But if you're mm-hmm. winning, right, you can put up with that. But the Marlins just simply are not. Yeah. So Jeter's like, you know what? I'm out. This yeah. is a waste of time. Yeah. Go chill on a beach somewhere. Exactly. Maybe not in Miami. Yeah, probably not. Let's go back to football. Let's talk about Kyler and the... <laughs> Half the, baseball, half football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, perfect we're, transition. The y- perfect transition. Yeah, uh, best of both worlds. Long story short, if you don't know about this whole situation, this guy cleansed out his social media of all Cardinals uh, mentions or anything, unfollowed the team, and then there was reports that he was unhappy. Yada yada yada. And then his agent came out yesterday and said he absolutely wants to be the long-term quarterback. And then there was a contract proposal sent. But the statement was super weird and super dumb because he was clearly taking shots at the ownership and saying, like, actions speak louder than words and, like, put that in bold print on the statement. I don't know what to make of this in this current moment. I mean, I think it's really stupid that the agent is just doing this in this way. Like, you don't have to make it a whole drama scene. Also, Kyler hasn't won anything. Why are we demanding money for a guy who hasn't done anything yet? You know? So this is just a mess, and this is the whole, like, they need to make probably a, not a 30 for 30, but, like, the next level below a 30 for 30 just on this whole thing in about 15 years when Kyler eventually decides to go play for the A's and not with the Cardinals anymore. This uh, reminds me of either an Aaron Rodgers or a Phil Mickelson situation, but Kyler just can't stand the heat for it. Um, So obviously him and his agent – are doing are trying to pull a stunt to try to create value for yourself um, and get as much money on the open market as possible. The fact that Dak Prescott is forty being paid forty million dollars, Patrick Mahomes about to, is about to start getting paid fifty million a year. Matt Ryan's cap hit is the biggest in NFL history this season at forty seven point whatever million. There's money to be made for being an above average quarterback, and then plus Aaron Rodgers is on the market too, and who knows where A Rod's really going to land. Um, so for me, I think Murray uh, just really tried to pull some stunt uh, by pulling the social media stuff off, and I, I guarantee you they weren't deleted. It was just like the little hide button uh, to hide the post on Instagram, uh, just to see what you could you could do and what could happen. But he wasn't ready for the heat and the backlash that he would get from it. Um, so I do think he's going to be the Cardinals quarterback for a while. Um, I do think he stays in Arizona. He's good for the Cardinals. Um, heck, I even think they have a really good opportunity to be the third team in a row to win a Super Bowl in their home stadium and keep that streak alive. I think it all comes down for me of it being a Phil Mickelson, Aaron Rodgers situation that since he hasn't won enough and he isn't that stature yet, he he can't stand the backlash from uh, everything that he's he's getting and it created value for himself but it also may hurt some fan base I think the difference between the uh, Kyler and the Rogers situation is that Rogers has been a successful quarterback and Kyler has been an unsuccessful quarterback in most uh, aspects like he is don't don't get me like Kyler's okay he's probably a top half quarterback he's probably in the top half of yeah I think there's a list of quarterbacks that you would take Kyler above, but there's also a pretty long list of quarterbacks that you would take over Kyler. 
So to do this as like a very mediocre middle tier, still a starting quarterback, but a very middling starting quarterback, it just comes across as whiny, man. I think that was the big thing at Oklahoma was like, dog, we got to not, like when things start going wrong, we can't be crying at the podium because we've never lost a game. Like it it just comes across as like a whiny teenager kind of thing, you know, where it's like, I do not like the way I'm going to be treated. So I'm going to post on social media about it. Also, why was that statement in all caps? It's another one of the statement pieces that he's trying to create an extra $5 million of value. It was like, what? who is reading this? Like, it was so long. It was longer than the Gettysburg Address, dude. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like, nobody's got time to read this. There's no period. There's all in caps. Like, you're just yelling at everybody through this long thing. Like, I don't know. It just comes across as whiny. I think if the Cardinals really wanted to, they could move off him. I don't think they will. But if they really wanted to, I think they're a deal to be made. Yeah, in terms of moving on from Kyler, just take a quick little second to talk about that. I don't think they are. I think he'll get the money that he wants. You've got maybe 17 starters in the NFL right now, if even that. I mean, you've got 17 guys that are above average in the NFL, uh, roughly. And if you've got one of them, it's going to be hard to find somebody else, especially with this year's draft not being amazing. Uh, shout out Malik Willis, best guy in the draft. You're not going to find a franchise guy in this year's draft other than maybe Malik. Um, and Is that Kyle, the Liberty guy? Yeah, Liberty guy. Okay. So, But you, lo- you look at the quarterbacks in the league, and if you've got an above-average guy, you keep them. So it's going to inflate the, the market so much, and that's why Dak, who in my opinion really only deserves 15 to $20 million a year, is getting paid 40 I honestly, I kind of hope the owners call Kyler's bluff and just like, all right, dude, then go play baseball. Like, if you want that much, like, go play baseball. Yeah. Uh, We're not going to pay you that. Yeah. And we're not going to deal with the attitude from a quarterback that's, like, 500 on his career just because you're a little faster than everybody else. Like, go play baseball then. That's If I was the ownership group, that's... I would strongly consider doing that. I don't know if I would. Or come play for the Cowboys because he doesn't lose in AT&T Stadium. That's right. That's right. Or just go run the show at Allen High School because that's the only place where he had real success. That's so. very true. What a mess. His agent, that's a very Kyler agent, just the way that he put out that statement. It, it, it fits. It, it's very fitting. Whose idea do you think that was? you think that was Kyler's? Or do you think... Probably no, both. Because it was probably, probably Kyler's both. of like, I want to get paid. But do you think it was Kyler's idea for the statement or the agent? Speaking from personal experience, Brandy, I love you if you ever hear this, so this isn't a shot at you. My agent is the same way, so if I say that I want a certain thing, Mama Brandy or my agent is going to do whatever she needs to do to create the storm uh, to be able to give me what I want. With that being said, I think Kyler had some ideas. I think him taking down the social media posts was his way, and the agent took it and ran with it and said, hey, we need to put out a statement. And Kyler was like, hey, I don't like all this flack I'm getting, so let's put out a statement to apologize and say I want to be in Arizona, but also like still push the narrative of I want an extra $30 million added to my contract because I put everything in all caps. Like a million for every letter that's in cap on the... As is the word of this podcast. Brutal. Yep. I would feel bad if I was Cliff. So, moving on. And now it's time for a special announcement. Hey, guys. Just a little break here before we go back into the rest of the episode. I just want to let y'all know about a couple things going on. First of all, we've been talking about the lockout in this episode. And that is 
not been resolved. Uh, league canceled the first two games of the baseball season. So there's our update on that. So the, we'll mention it a couple more times later on, but it hasn't been resolved. So anyway, just in case you didn't know. But I wanted to uh, talk about real quick. It's the month of March now, which is exciting. The year is going by really fast. And March means it's time for March Madness. Everybody loves to make brackets. Everybody loves to get involved with that sort of thing. And so one thing that I wanted to offer via Dennis and Friends is a uh, March Madness Bracket Challenge group. Okay, so if you want to be involved in this group, if you want to join the group of listeners that will uh, compete to have the best bracket of all the listeners of Dennis and Friends, let me know. You can... uh, hit me up on instagram on the dms on my personal account or at uh the podcast instagram at dennis friends pod or you can email dennis and friends pod at gmail.com or you can hit me up on twitter at dennis garvin jr or if you have my number just text me and let me know if you want to join the group and i'll get you all the information for that we're doing it through espn and it'll be super fun probably not gonna put money on it uh just so you know it's just just for fun so if you like that sort of thing if you like making brackets like i do and like a lot of my friends do a lot of people that have been on this podcast do then let me know and i'll add you to the group march madness is almost here so let me know soon because it's about 11 days until the tournament starts so anyway that's all i wanted to say if you want to join let me know otherwise back to the episode Let's talk about the playoff overtime rules that we've previously discussed. The Colts put a proposal, I think, well, I think the news of it came out yesterday. I don't know when it happened, but they put out a proposal that basically ensures that both teams get the ball on offense at least once during overtime. And I think this stick is that I think 24 of the 32 teams have to approve it in order for that rule to start this coming year. Y'all know how I feel. I'm, I'm pro this. So is that for uh, just playoffs or is that for both? Yeah, it's for both. And then it still ends in a tie if you're yeah, tied. At. Yeah, in regular season at least. I don't. So for regular season, I don't mind the only one team because it's like make a stop. For playoffs, though, I do think you should make both teams play defense. Because the logic is, oh, well, you could have had the ball if you played better defense. And it's like, okay, but why didn't you make the other team also play defense? Yeah, take that, Adam Thielen. Um, Yeah, so I am pro this rule for the playoffs. I don't know that I'm pro this rule for regular season. I think it's like, it might be like old man get off my yard, like yelling at people. But it just feels like there's now more potential for ties if we're not extending the, you know, because like overtime is what, 10 minutes in the NFL? Yeah. So if you have one team drives for like six, then scores a touchdown, then the other team scores in like, say, three, then you've got a minute of like actual, oh, okay. So if we're not extending the overtime period, then. I'm probably out on regular season, but I do think it's a good idea for playoffs. And ties matter. I mean, look at the <laughs> look at the uh, Chargers Raiders game at the end of the year. Yeah, ties indeed do ties. matter. <laughs> but no, I uh, sounds like Josh is, or I will be picking off of Josh. But I completely agree with this. 
Um, I, I think the rule in the regular season needs to stay the regular season rule, uh, but this new rule is a playoff-only rule. Um, one stat I saw whenever I was kind of researching for this, which kind of blew me away, and this was according to uh, NF- some NFL Network studies, um, you look at the splits of games being decided in overtime uh, in the regular season, um, it's a 50-50 split of whoever wins the coin toss. So it's still a wide-open game, plus you have the additional tie factor where you've got Team A wins the coin toss, and yeah, you could go down score in the game, but you've also got Team B that loses the coin toss, can get a stop or force them to a field goal, go, goes down, wins it, or it ends in a tie, or um, however the game ends up going. But it's surprising to me that, that in the regular season, it was only a 50-50 split. Like, there's a legitimate shot for both teams to win. Um, but then in the playoffs, that number shifts to like an 85% spread. If you win the toss. If you win the toss. That's crazy. Um, but a lot of that, I think, comes down to uh, higher stakes, better quarterback play, the pressure, uh, so defenses may be pressed too much, a.k.a. the Brady effect, um, as we say a lot in text messages now. Um, so, no, I'm never living the Brady effect or Arthur Vader down. So, uh, Arthur Vader's my new nickname, guys. So, uh, the one thing that I think uh, would will really affect this rule if this does – Uh, go into place um, and will truly affect the NFL long term is the wear and tear on players. So if you're giving uh, in the regular season two, you're you're making football players now play 17 regular season games as well as overtimes that go for both uh, that go for both uh, scoring and then you get a chance to answer back. That's more chance for injury. And so you're going to have some massive injuries that happen uh, to players in the regular season. And then guys are going to start sitting out the regular season and this is going to turn into the NBA, which is going to be a major problem for the National Football League. So I think best case scenario is you take the Colts overtime rule and adjust it and say, hey, let's make this a playoff only rule we get better tv money we get uh, fair outcomes we get teams having a shot to not only stop but have a chance to answer if you have two great quarterbacks like a Mahomes and Allen playing against each other um, so at least Allen would have a shot to tie and see what the greatness of Josh Allen could be but in the regular season uh, the fact that we've added a regular season game it still means a lot but it doesn't mean as much now to win a regular season game so Keep the overtime rule that we have now. Um, it's fine for the regular season. Ends games faster and postseason. Make those be different stakes. I'm kind of indifferent on regular season if they end up improving this rule and if they're just like, oh, it's just playoffs. And be like, okay. And if they do regular season and playoffs, I'll be like, that's cool too. I'm indifferent either way. But for playoffs, I think you have to. I think it, it matters so much more in that regard. I mean, you look at – um, how it affected the the Bills Chiefs game, and the literal next week the Chiefs Bengals game. You know, like there there's all the evidence that you need. So I don't think much more needs to be said. Let's keep in the spirit of football, but let's switch from NFL to college, and let's talk about the once again failed expansion of the college football playoff. And also, let's kind of talk talk about what we us three think would be the best way to fix the playoffs like what would be the ideal expansion if there is expansion like what's the right amount of teams what's the right format all that basically what happened with this whole thing is that they I think the they voted on it um like a few weeks ago and it was like an eight to three eight being we don't we don't want it three being we do want it I don't remember what conferences they are but they didn't get it done and nobody's happy about it so 
What do we think? I had a feeling that this was going to stay uh, a fourteen playoff at least through the end of the TV contract of 20, through the twenty twenty five season, which is what was announced. There's there's just too many issues, and it's kind of what I just talked about with the overtime uh, issue. If you're going to force college kids that aren't professionals, regardless of uh, the NIL money that now these college kids are making. If you're forcing them to play in an eight-team playoff or a 16-team playoff in addition to the 13 regular season plus championship games that you're already playing, that's upwards to 20 games if, or 21 games if you're a national champion. And that's one game more than what you're playing in the NFL now, excluding postseason. I don't think it's it's beneficial for the health of collegiate athletes. Um so I could see how it stays top four. Plus, uh, we talk about all the time any publicity, whether it's good or bad publicity, is good publicity. Uh, and so I think right now everyone's wanting an eight-team or 16-team playoff because we're seeing, oh, uh, Ohio State gets left out this year. Or there's always one or two teams that gets left out of a four-team playoff. And they're like, okay, now they're playing the other New Year's Six Bowl game that no one cares about anymore. Um, but it's still – talking points and you're making money off of it I think uh, they're fine keeping it the way that it is uh, but I do think over time the best solution is eight team I don't think we need to go six team 16 team I think we go eight team playoff but uh, we shorten the regular season to eight to ten games um, and make it conference only and then plus a championship game and go from there I, I think it's the best way for college football to be so I'll ask you guys a question, I guess. What do we want the goal to be with the playoff? Is it finding the best team or is it like entertaining games? Well, both, right? <laughs> but if I had to pick one, I mean, the best team, right? That's all that matters yeah, at the I end, mean, right? As a football player, I'd want to see the best team win. Uh, that's why I like the four-team playoff. But then again, because there's so much room for parity with an eight-team or 16-team playoff because uh, it's any given Sunday or any given Saturday. But from an entertainment standpoint, which is where I think the NCAA is at at this point, they're going to want to expand it as much as possible. I disagree because the like the expanded like, oh, well, we'll just expand it to eight teams and we'll have Coastal Carolina play Alabama in week one. Like who's getting hyped for that outside of like the 20 people that attend Coastal Carolina? <laughs> Like, that's just not going to be a good game. <laughs> he knows 10% of the entire <laughs> population. No, it's like, yeah, so we've seen in, like, the uh, FCS, they have, what, 16-team, 12-team playoff? 16-team playoff. It might be 32. Oh, no, it is 32. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. And the Bison have won, like, 10 of the last 11. So, like, the idea of, like, oh, more teams means more parity is, like, simply not true because the best teams are still going to be the best teams. You're just now, you're making them play, you know, 10-3 and three Pittsburgh instead of 11-1 and one Notre Dame or whatever in the first round, and you're adding a game. So I guess it's good for, like, TV revenue, but it's not really good for like parity because you still have like Alabama the last like couple of years we have known going into it like the top 3 teams okay these are the top 3 and now also Cincy or also Notre Dame or whatever so i don't know that like expanding the playoff for any reason is a good idea like i think 
I honestly, I think four is a good number. Two might be ideal if you're trying to get parity because at least then there's like there's a shot that whatever computer generated number or whatever committee leaves out, you know, one of the teams that could win, like leaves out Bama, like two lost Bama or whatever. Like that's the only way we see parity, I think, is go back to a two loss because Bama's always going to make it if they have two losses. You know, Georgia's always going to make it if they win the SEC. Clemson's always going to make it if they're good. Notre Dame's just a big name, so they're going to. So we're always going to know like three of the four teams going in. So I don't necessarily think that expanding's a good idea, even though like as a fan you would want that because I don't know that it's a. I don't think it's good for game entertainment. Like those are some of those are not going to be good. Like four and five playing each other might be a pretty good game, and even like six and three, but like. Yeah, maybe a 16 playoff would be a good. Yeah, I mean, 16 playoff sounds good, but uh, how about this? Uh, now this is going to seem very biased, but y'all are now in the SEC now too, so it doesn't matter. How about just the SEC champion is the national champion? You know, you got Oklahoma <laughs> and Texas joining now. It's The only teams you're really missing is like Ohio State and maybe Michigan the occasional year, so let's just kick out Vandy and... Uh, Vandy and Kentucky and put Ohio State and <laughs> Michigan in the SEC. Clemson and, would like to have a word. And, and Clemson can can join in as in non-conference, and uh, Florida State hasn't been relevant since, like, Bobby Bowden. Dude, I could go for some crab legs. <laughs> <laughs> I think, to wrap up, gosh, you and crab legs, bro. It's been a running joke with you for, like, seven years. Yeah, true. Uh... I'm pro-expansion. I like your idea, though, Justin, of shortening the regular season in order to compensate for not having too many games. I think that's the only way you get an expanded playoff done. If not, then we stay four teams for the rest of history. Yeah. I mean, but then again, we do talk about the, the, the little bit of parity that could happen, but think about the 64 team or now, like, what is it, 68 team with the play-in games and all that with the, uh, with the, with the, with the NCAA yeah. basketball tournament. People still like to watch the 116 matchup. Um, and you'll have the occasional retreat, golden retrievers that that beat the um, the one seed, um, and so and then you'll you'll have a lot of like elevens beat fives and things like that. So I, I think you would see that with an expanded playoffs, uh, but no, it, it it's hard to say that it would there would be parity either way. So I kind of agree with you too. There'd be parity uh, if it's a it's a if it's a one two team. Or you have a fourteen seed ACU, my alma mater beat UT last year, baby. Yeah, so like I don't know. It's just so like hypothetically then say a seven seed beats a two seed. So whoever seven was beats who was two last year. Michigan. Michigan. Say Pittsburgh beats Michigan. Like great. So what? <laughs> now they have to play now they still have to go through. I think Ohio State was the seventh. If it was Ohio State, Michigan in a playoff, that would have been electric. Yeah. But, like, I don't know, because then you're like, oh, we're at eight teams, so now every conference gets a bid, like an automatic bid. Awesome. Okay, so now you have, like, 22nd-ranked Oregon is now playing whoever. And then you have like a group of five or two group of five schools. Like it's just I don't I don't think it'd be a good viewing experience for because even the playoff now like there's not been a ton of great playoff games yeah, in the true. four team. So especially semifinals, we've talked about that extensively off air. So hypothetically, if we had a 16 team playoff based on the end of or the 
or the college football playoff final rankings that was going into the playoffs, uh, it would have been number one ver- Alabama versus number 16 Oklahoma. Two Michigan, 15 Iowa, three Georgia, uh, 12 Pittsburgh. Uh, so there you go. You got Pitt in there. Uh, four Cincinnati, 11 Utah, five Notre Dame, 10 Michigan State, six Ohio State, nine Oklahoma State, uh, seven Baylor versus eight Ole Miss. So that actually wouldn't be a bad playoff given who those teams were this year and Clemson still left out. Yeah, I don't know. I just I don't think it'd be a good viewing experience. Like no one's getting up for who is no one's getting up for BYU Cincinnati as a round one. Like I do think a lot of people would get up for that Alabama Oklahoma game one sixteen. I mean maybe. I don't know. I'm out on it. I I'm pro. I think it should be eight teams. The power five gets a bid. One group of five, two at large. Who is the top Pac twelve team? Do you have that on the uh, list? Utah. Utah would have been. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then you do the first round on campus and then do the uh, the semifinals like at bowl games, like how it's supposed how, to be. How about neutral site at uh, the cl- like neutral site with the in the same location as oh. like the higher seeds? So like. Uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta if, like, it was Georgia versus Ohio State and Georgia was higher. Or, um, like, UAB Stadium in Alabama if Alabama were the higher seed um, versus Coastal Carolina or whatever. Sure. That's interesting. That's very interesting. We have a few more things to talk about. We're going to completely shift gears from (laughs) football and baseball. We're going to talk about hacky, as I like to call it. Hacky. We had a very thrilling 17-goal just debacle or not debacle, but just fun mess, as I like to say. It was a monstrosity. Yes, of the game between the Detroit Red Wings and the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was a 10-7 to final, but eight of those 17 goals were scored in the third period alone because the Red Wings came back. It was like 7-2, to two, and then they ended up like 7-6 to six at one point after like five minutes. It was just, yeah, it was crazy. So... Josh, you're you're the more hockey guy of the three of us. So why don't you start on this one? So it's the first game I've ever watched. I think it's the first game in like twenty plus years that both starting goaltenders got pulled in the same wow. game. And so I, if you ever, so I don't, I assume you don't have a big hockey following, Dennis. But the like the Can starting, Alliance? yeah, the starting goaltender for the Wings wasn't even bad. Like they pulled him after three goals. He allowed three goals in like the first five minutes. And they were like, nope. But none of those were savable. Yeah. So it was just like, it was unfortunate. And then Campbell kind of pooped the bed starting the third period. <laughs> and they were like, what is happening? Like, I don't know if he took, like, down. Like, if he smoked pot, he was hanging out with Snoop and Willie Nelson in the back. <laughs> like, after the inter- intermission show. Like, I don't know. But he came out and it just was not it. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was a really funny game to watch. Not having a dog in the fight. It was the most obnoxious thing. Well, I will say uh, we talk about those three goals that were kind of unsavable by the Detroit goalkeeper there, or the uh, the Detroit goalie there. How about Nylander's first goal of the night? That was a <laughs> missile yeah. in the top right-hand corner there. I mean, that uh, that goal surprised me when I was watching the highlights, but... No, I mean that that was a game that was a fun game to kind of watch replays for. I didn't know it was happening at the time, uh, but no, that was. 
That's that's a game that I wish the Nashville Predators, what the team I support, would have every once in a while, even though they're actually good this year. So yeah, yeah that would have been nice if they had that at Stadium Series the other night, dude. Yeah, what like this is beautiful chaos, as I like to say. It yeah. was it was awesome. Like looking at stats, Mitch Marner, uh, <laughs> six points, four goals, two assists. Austin Matthews had a goal and three assists for four points and. Bunting had five points with four assists. Holy gosh, and uh, and one goal. And then on the Red Wings side, you had uh, Raymond had three points with two goals and an assist, and a few other guys had uh, two assists each. And Philip had uh, four points, three assists as well. Like, what happened? Just like, why? I mean, I know what happened because I've seen plenty of highlights. But like, just beautiful. It was like that's what hockey should be like every night. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what, if we went back to the way goalie was played, like, in the 50s with, like, no mask and, like, pads that were barely bigger than your shin, this is what hockey would be every night. Yeah, it was just, like, a combination of, like, it was unlucky for both goalies. Uh, the Nylander shot was, there's nothing you could do about it. He was, like, in perfect position. It was just a snipe. Yeah, I don't know. It was It was a very odd night. It was, like, unlucky coupled with both teams made a lot of bad turnovers leading to like you know 12 of those goals were preventable had they just comprehended offense for 10 more seconds <laughs> a lot of those goals in the third period or at least a lot of the goals that Toronto had were I think the last two goals Toronto scored were off of like Detroit turnovers that I'm like all right I make those in the NHL video game and I feel stupid uh, I wonder how you feel as a professional athlete making those <laughs> mistakes <laughs> No, it was funny because also, like, the Red Wings are, like, in the hunt for a playoff. So this was, like, yeah. important Surprising. for them. Yeah. Uh, Toronto's pretty much in no matter what yeah, unless they implode. Point. Yeah. Have a, well, I guess they did kind of implode. Yeah. But have, like, a season implosion yeah. more than just the game. Yeah, have but a Edmonton-type thing. It was just, it was, it was a pretty hilarious game not having a dog in the fight. I'm sure Wings and Leafs fans were stressed Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty funny. We will talk more hockey. We need to start talking more hockey yes, on we do. this show, especially as playoffs heat up. And the deadline hasn't happened yet, right? Or the, am I just a complete dummy? Yeah, it's, coming, it's up. coming up pretty soon. Yeah, I'm curious to see what our stars do, uh, Josh, because there's been a lot of rumors and all that stuff. So let's move on because we still have a few more things to do. Now let us talk some basketball, my MO. Uh, the the absolute crap show that is the Los Angeles Lakers who got booed off of their floor on Sunday night because they lost to the Pelicans by like 30, which is just a travesty because the Pelicans are brutal the right no, now. The no Zion Pelicans too. Yeah, exactly, which the Pelicans have their own drama in itself, but that's a whole other episode. They just cut DeAndre Jordan today or last night or whatever for DJ Augustine, which I don't know if that's going to be helpful, but I guess having another point guard behind Russell Westbrook, which they didn't have, is kind of helpful. I, <laughs> I just like, it's just so funny to me, man, that, this is what it's come to with LeBron and AD on the same team. Knowing that like 19 months ago, they were in the bubble and they got that ring in Orlando. And now you have all this stuff of like LeBron saying like, oh, I'm, I'm not closing the door. and going back to Cleveland or like, I want to play with my son and all this unhappiness. And like, apparently the owner or Jeannie Buss like left in the middle of the game the other night because of how bad it was. And, there was a video, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, of them barking at fans, like, on Sunday night, like, yelling at people. Because the fans were, like, getting pissed off at them. And so they 
were barking back at them, and it was it got really bad. So there's just oh man, oh man. I mean, first of all, they're not going to make the real playoffs. They're going to have to get through the playing game again, like they did last year. And I would not bet money on them in the playoffs over the Clippers and over the Timberwolves, who are both ahead of them right now. So, yikes. yeah, I mean, so the LeBron situation, I think, is a very similar Aaron Rodgers-esque type situation uh, where he's just trying to strong arm his future and, and make sure that he can play with his son. Now, um, I want to say he's still another three or four years out uh, from his son playing. I think it's the year after his contract ends with L.A. is his son's ability to Bronny's eligible in two years, in 24, because oh, he's okay. a junior yeah, in high school this year, and so he'll graduate, and then he'll either do G League or uh, yeah. college. Because I, I was hearing on ESPN Radio, it was LeBron's contract ends with the Lakers. There would be another gap year season before his son could be eligible. So Correct. There, yeah, so there, there would be an issue. There could be a situation where Braun retires for a year and comes back um, and goes to wherever drafts his son. But the Russell Westbrook situation, get him gone. He's not Russell Westbrook anymore. He is a shell of himself. Uh, but then again, you're going to have to mortgage the future, uh, which LeBron's frustrated with that they didn't do uh, to get rid of Westbrook. You probably would have had to give up that 2027 pick. Picks. Yeah, but be the LA Rams, Lakers. Be the LA Rams. Mortgage the future. Get rid of get rid of the picks to get rid of Russell Westbrook. Uh, but I think at this point, it's the end of the AD situation in LA too. Yeah, because he's made a only, glass, man. Yeah, he's made a glass. He hasn't played, and that's the only way you might be able to rebuild anything. But I think LeBron trying to play GM as well is not helping the Lakers. I think he's a great player, and he's carrying the Lakers at 38 or however old he is. Him playing GM isn't going to work. So uh, LeBron, stop playing NBA 2K11 and start playing 2K22 with the guys (laughs) that you put on your roster because every time you've been successful, it's been young guys that are helping you age and helping you win championships rather than the dudes that you liked like 10 years ago. So, I mean, that, that to me, the Lakers are old and it's showing. I am on the other side of the fence. The Lakers won a championship with LeBron, so all of this is worth it. It's the same like the Brady thing. Like the Buccaneers are in cap hell, but they won a Super Bowl. So who cares? Because you won a championship. Like, it doesn't look great now, and you can be like, mortgage the future. Like, they already mortgaged the future to get LeBron and to win a championship. Like, this is the aftermath, but this is what happens when you mortgage your future. It is not like... (laughs) There's the first timer we've gone off today. It is not like this is a revolutionary thing of like, oh, wow, we can just mortgage our future again. Like, they just have less stuff to give up. I think Westbrook, it's deflating to watch him just brick shot after shot. But statistically, he's pretty much who Russell Westbrook has been his entire year. Like, maybe stop shooting so many jumpers because it just is a travesty to society and my eyeballs. (laughs) 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 But, like, Westbrook has been who we thought Westbrook was going to be numbers-wise. And LeBron has been pretty good. And can he carry a team anymore? Not as well as he could have, but also he's 38. And you won a championship with GM LeBron. So, like, who cares, right? Because you won a championship. Uh, That's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, um, at this point, uh, I, I really do feel like we need to look at LeBron's bucket list and say, what else do you want to do? You want to play with your son, okay? That's still three years away. Uh, the only thing I think that 
he could do to help solidify himself maybe greater than Michael Jordan is go to the New York Knicks and win. Go to the Knicks, do it in the Garden, uh, and then retire for a year, come back and play with Bronny, and then go watch Bronny the rest of his career. Oh, boy, him on the Knicks would be... Man. Go to Brooklyn, LeBron. Oh, gosh. You won't. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. All right. Shout out Kyrie. Shout out Kyrie. Not really, though. Let's circle back to the NFL, but in a different light. Josh was super excited to talk about this when we were discussing topics <laughs> to talk about. The broadcasting carousel. So we have lots of moves. Troy Aikman is probably going to ESPN, from what we know. Al Michaels is probably probably going to retire even though that's like not all the way official yet uh there's a whole lot of other stuff with like greg olson and sean McVay and the mannings and all this stuff so i am interested to see where anything goes i think the aikman to espn makes a lot of sense i think they have the money to throw at him they just paid like a couple billion for monday night football so like they're gonna pay him whatever he wants because Monday Night Football, it's a cash cow, right? They're going to get money from that no matter what. So they can throw a stupid amount of money at anybody. Now, the last couple of years, they've chosen to do that to, like, Bob Greasy and Booger McFarland for some godforsaken reason. But, like, they can throw money at just about, yeah. They can throw money at just about anyone, and it would be enough, I think, to get them to walk away. I don't know who you would stick in there with Aikman on a Monday night, like maybe you would try to get Buck and just take out the Fox one. Michael's. Yeah. I think that's what ESPN's trying to do. I mean, you look at Monday night football and yeah, it's a forbidden name to really talk about, but it, in my opinion, it hasn't been good since Gruden left Monday night football. Um, and so <laughs> getting Aikman and maybe even trying to steal Joe Buck away from Fox, I think that's all you can really do to, to bring Monday night football back um, or make Monday night football great again. <laughs> whatever that would be as a slogan. I, I'm not the hu- the biggest fan of Aikman uh, and his announcing, but he's not terrible either. Uh, Buck's gotten better for me over the years, uh, better than his monotone era. But but no, I mean, just throw the money at Drew Brees and get him from NBC because I think that's, that's amazing. If you can't land Aikman, I think Brees makes sense. I think if – I don't know if Brady would this soon out of retirement. I, I could see Brady doing like a Manning and Manning thing. So, if anything, I could see Peyton and Eli, um, maybe more Peyton than Eli, moving up into, like, actual Monday Night Football broadcast, similar to a Joe Madden style, and then, like, Eli, and this would be funny, but Eli and Brady together on, like, a, a Brady-Manning cast. Um, I could see that, because they have a little bit different relationship than Brady and, uh, Brady and Peyton do. Uh, so I, I mean, I think that would be good for ESPN. Uh, but rest in peace, NBC and Fox and everybody else. If all their talent gets plucked by ESPN, that's back on the come up for whatever reason. I think a real interesting one would be Gus Johnson. Ooh, yeah, uh, making the transition from college football. I don't know that he'll go to ESPN, but like, if we see Buck leave, I think that's certainly possible. Yeah, he just make the him the Fox guy. guy yeah, uh, with whoever else. Yeah. Well, with Al, My- uh, with Al Michaels retiring, how about let's shift Chris Collinsworth in the slide from being just the um, the play, not the play-by-play announcer, but that that color analyst to being the play-by-play announcer. Slide Drew Brees in there. Have Drew Brees have something similar to the slide in. 
um, and make uh, NBC just as good as ESPN will be with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Oh, boy. I don't know if I like that. I mean, McDonough could be interesting. Yeah, but, like, he's ran his course at ESPN. Him as, like, the two at Fox or... NBC. Yeah. I mean, Tariko maybe could do Monday, I was about Sunday to say, it, it, if, uh, if Michaels like does leave, it's got to be Tariko. Like, there's no, like, yeah. they're already grooming him for that role, or they have been over the last few years, and he's done all their other big stuff. So, why wouldn't you put him on that call? What about Terry Bradshaw? Fool. <laughs> Woof. I am out. Or any of that pregame crew of Tony Gonzalez, and just make that, just make it a comedy show. Like, Monday night comedy instead of Monday night football. Dude, whatever it is to get freaking greasy off my screen, because that guy's terrible. He's brutal on the Monday night call. And, I, and Levy's not a great pick either. The only guy I like on the Monday night call is Riddick. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's the crazy thing about where we're at in, in analysts. I would like We've got t- way too many analysts that are great. Like, I haven't even mentioned Dan Orlovsky, and he was already I, at ESPN. I, I really Dan. enjoyed watching him this year. Him yeah. and Spears are pretty great. Yes. So if there's, Swagoo. Yeah, Swagoo. So if there's any way to get Spears and, uh, I mean, take the take Spears and Orlovsky off of just the talk show stuff and get them more onto game, actual games. Dude, did you see Orlovsky do – he did a college bowl game, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Was, did you see him really do – it was awesome. Well, you want to know what other analysts would be great? Robert Griffin III, the third. Yeah, slide. yeah, I've really liked him on ESPN stuff lately. It's a, it's kind of a touchy name, but Pat McAfee, I think, would be a great <laughs> color guy. <laughs> but he only does Packer games. Yeah, he only does Packer games, and then he'll occasionally like let's slide him in on a Colts game if Carson Wentz is still the quarterback. Yeah. See what he says. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but no, uh, what I was gonna say though is. We've got way too many uh, actual really good comedic football analysts that know their role, uh, but we've got very few actual like decent announcers now. And so, Mike Tirico, you're going to get paid a bunch of money. Um, I mean, Gus Johnson, if you make the move, you're going to make a bunch of money. Sean McDonough, you you might have an opportunity again. You're going to make a bunch of money. So those, I mean, and then Joe Buck is probably the Tom Brady of the crew, which is weird for me to say. Um, And Joe Buck might be the highest paid announcer in the history of the world (laughs) after all this. True. The only one I feel good about is like Nance and Romo probably staying at CBS. Yeah. Like that is the only one. Yeah. That's the only one that we're like going into next year. That's the one crew at CBS. Mm-hmm. And everything else is like, I don't know. This, this may be way too um, millennial of me, but Brad Nessler or, oh, any, or yeah. any of those college football Ooh, crew Brett guys. Brett Musburger, bro. Or Bring Brett Musburger, back. yeah. Isn't he? <laughs> dude, Musburger, he's doing the, the Raiders stuff. Yeah. He's like the Raiders radio guy. Yeah, but if he was going to do that, he'd do college football because he's getting paid so no. much money. Nah, bro. Just just let him just well, let him do it. Pluck some of the guys off of uh, the ESPN college football stuff, too. Um, yeah. I can't even oh, remember. Oh, Herb Street. Yeah well, yeah. well, Herb Street, again, he would be another analyst, though, even though he could probably do both. Man, what's, why am I forgetting his name right now? The, the host of College Game Day. Uh, uh, Reese Davis. Yeah, Reese Davis. Why not someone like Reese Davis or Fowler? Um, I mean, I would love to see um, – why am I forgetting his name now, too? Clemson and Alabama slash NASCAR guy. Um, 
No, no, no. Uh, he cover he covers those three almost <laughs> exclude. Yeah, Marty Smith. Yeah, let, oh, let, let's move. Dude, let's yes. move Marty from an yes. on-field reporting role to. Yes, <laughs> dude, I love Marty Smith. That's one of my favorite ESPN people. Yeah, he's say. so good. We have one more topic to talk about, and it is not sports related at all. This is so just out of left field. I, if you're still listening to this, which if you're still listening to this, bravo to you. We're going to talk about something that's just totally obscure and just very funny that we uh, talked about in the group chat the other day. And we and Josh mentioned we got to make a whole episode on this, but we might as well just talk about it now while yeah. we're together. Kanye West, or otherwise now known as Ye, because he's just... He's just insane. He's actually an insane human being. He put out a post on Instagram explaining all the beefs that he has with people. I'm not going to name all of the people that are on this list from both the post, like the picture in the post and the caption. But the following people that he has beef with include Taylor Swift, his ex-wife Kim, Wiz Khalifa, Kid Cudi, Peppa Pig, Pete Davidson, South Park, Bruno Mars, Harriet Tubman, uh, Beyonce, Travis Scott, Louis Vuitton, MTV, George Bush Jr. I didn't didn't see that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fifty Cent, TMZ, Apple, Spotify, Black History Month, the whole cast of <laughs> SNL, Barack Obama, Jeff Bezos, Charlemagne the God, liberals, <laughs> Hillary Clinton, and then he says Pete Davidson again, but he calls him Skeet. <laughs> What is happening? So the one we have to talk about, Peppa Pig. Yeah, what happened there? <laughs> Why does he have beef with the old Peppa Pig? I don't know, but all I know about Pe- uh, Peppa is that she's uh, banned in like China or something. So maybe he's, or yeah, well, no, I know, I know the Peppa Pig, the cartoon, but I think the cartoon Peppa Pig is like banned in like China or some country over there for being too. Uh, vulgar or whatever and I'm like what this man took well the reason why is because it was Pitchfork they put out a ranking of best albums of last year and they put they ranked her album rated her album higher than Donda which is fair because Donda was trash yeah but then Peppa Pig the official Peppa Pig Twitter account tweeted Peppa didn't need to host listening parties at Mercedes Benz to get that point five. true <laughs> which is elite. It's a bit unprofessional that they felt like the official Peppa Pig should be tweeting that, but yeah. also it is so funny. Yeah. Whoever is Twitter admin for Peppa Pig, you need a raise. Yes. <laughs> Just give that person all the benefits now, please and thank you. So I've listened to Donda all the way through. Admittedly, I will say up front, have not listened to Peppa Pig's album all the way through at this point. <laughs> I should have done my research. That's on me, I guess. It feels like you wouldn't have the issue with, like, Peppa Pig, because then he would have an issue with, like, 95% of artists that have had an album better than that. It feels like you should have an issue with the, like, company that rated the album, right? Yeah, with Pitchfork. Yeah, I mean, we but we look at the list of all the people slash companies he's got beef with now, and I, I think most of this is him just trying to somewhat stay relevant because Donda wasn't very successful. Then again, was successful because everyone's talking about it and how terrible it is. So it's successful determining on how you define su- success. But 
I could see how some of these he would have beef with, but I think he's at the point in his life where he's just going to have beef with everybody because nothing's going his way. Why does he have beef with Denmau 5? Why? That makes no sense. Harriet Tubman, like, <laughs> she is not alive. Like, <laughs> why do you have beef with a dead person? She's hunting him, maybe. I, I guess, man. I, that's inspiration, His inspiration for Donda. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh, he has beef with TikTok too. Oh, because of his uh, his daughter's stuff. Good grief. Yeah, uh, I my one of my takeaways. He just hates all politicians. Like he hates Obama and Hillary Clinton, and yeah. also hates George W. Bush. George yeah. Bush Jr. Or George Bush Jr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like how? Yeah. <laughs> like how do you? He he loves Donald Trump, you, but he you, sure don't like real I, politics. I have an idea why. Kanye for president, 2024. Yeah. The birthday party will rise again like it did two years ago to utter failure. Dude. It's just so many just random, like South Park. Yeah, what the heck, man? They had to have done a bit. Yeah. But they do that to everybody. That's the thing. Yeah, but Kanye Kanye does, like, take stuff personally. So, like, you make a joke about, like, we're probably going to be on Kanye's next Instagram post because we have, like, 30 listeners. Uh, not even, uh, probably. Uh, but, like, he's going to have beef with us because you were making this a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next week's post, uh, add in the Dennis and Friends podcast and each of our names individually. Please, please, just to give us more exposure. Hates Dennis, hates Taco, hates Arth Vader. Yeah. Hates yeah. Black History Month for obvious reasons, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, like, it's such a random, eclectic list. And he doesn't really seem to go in any particular order. It's like he was just like, who do I hate? And just started typing. Yeah. And just, there was no, like, I'm going to arrange these in any order. It's just like, oh, I hate Harriet Tubman. Also, I hate SNL, Justin Timberlake, and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> Call it a day. Just, somebody help that man. Please. Yeah, Kanye needs a lot of help. That was a lot. That's a lot of stuff that we just went through in way more uh, time than I thought. Quick hit on two things. Where is Carson Wentz going? Um, no. No, <laughs> not, he's not going to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, but Carson Wentz, I say, is a backup somewhere. I don't know where, but he'll be somewhere. Uh, he's in Indy right now. I like Denver, maybe. One thing I got as a notification, Broncos GM George Patton says everything is on the table in pursuit of a quarterback, including trading multiple first-round picks. So I don't think Carson Wentz is going to be on the market for them because they've already seen the Colts' mortgage part of their future to get him. So I think that is a sign saying we are getting Aaron Rodgers or we are getting Jameis Winston. Like It's, it's, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Wentz, I think, is a... He shows flashes of being good. I would feel comfortable saying he's a top 32 NFL quarterback. So I think he's like a starter. He's a starting caliber quarterback. Uh, at times, he poops the bed. Shout out the Jacksonville game at the end of the year. He had like a four QBR. Like, dog, I had a 10 QBR. I sat on the couch. <laughs> like, <laughs> can we figure it out? I don't like, I'm trying to think of teams that need like a stopgap guy maybe like tampa maybe denver maybe i mean the colts probably washington, want to get rid of maybe him. yeah washington there's like a handful of teams i could see him on but i don't think he's a slam dunk anywhere i will say the more we kind of talk about the quarterback openings um he is a rally uh or raleigh north carolina kid uh technically 
North Dakota kid as well, but he was born in Raleigh. I could see him playing for either Washington or Carolina um, as, oh, yeah. and maybe Carolina's being their starter spot. for a stopgap. I think Carson Wentz is very, very – and I'm a fan of Carson. I think he's still got a shot, but I think his, his biggest issue has been the same issue that plagued RG3. I think their careers are going to probably be synonymous with each other because they're practically the same guy. Um, injuries have derailed them at the most important point in their career, and when they came back, they weren't the same. And I think that's Carson's issue rather than him actually being a good quarterback or not. Say Wentz becomes a commie. Does I don't think it's a guarantee that he beats Heineke out in the in like a QB battle. Like he's got the name, but like in camp, I don't think it's a slam dunk. So I like Heineke as well, uh, but I think uh, Carson is the half grade above Heineke, and so I think over a three or four week camp plus training or plus preseason camp and things like that, I think Carson would separate himself. But it, Heineke would be the perfect backup for Carson uh, because you know he could. Uh, he could go take over and win you football games, plus who's the head coach for the commies, which is weird to say. Okay. Uh, who's the – quick answer, who's the quarterback of the Colts next season? Sam Ellinger. Hook him. On, Ellinger or Wentz? I'm going to bet my money on Ellinger. I've got inside track and inside information to say that it's Ellinger. <laughs> it's yeah. not Jacob Eason. It's Ellinger. Yeah. It was never going to be Eason over Ellinger. It was, just, it was never going to be – organization likes uh, Eason a lot, uh, but they've reached out to the same people who I train with to say, hey, uh, can you get Ellinger with you? Can you get him out to see Tom House last weekend, actually, with Mac Jones? And can he? And they were at, Colts were asking the question, can he be our starter long term? And per the workout last week, things I've heard from my coaches, I was obviously at a, at a tryout, so I wasn't personally there, but from things I've heard from my coaches that were there, he's he looks like an NFL starter, and he looks just as good as what Mac did. So I think Ellinger's the guy Gee. in Indy. I think Ellinger's like career path, say assuming he wins a starting job, I think he'll be like great value uh, Josh Allen. Same kind of play style. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to read Jeff Passan's tweets that he just put out. MOB just put out an offer. No changes to CBT thresholds. Five million increase on pre-arbitration. Pre-arbitration bonus pool from $25 million to $30 million and increase in minimums from 675000 to 700000 moving up uh, 10000 a year. That's their final offer. That Compare that to what the players want. Uh, the pool, the pre-arbitration pool, $85 million, $5 million increases annually. Minimums at 725000 going up twenty a year. The thresholds being vastly different. So, ooh. That's still pretty far off. I think they get it done because, not today. I don't think a deal happens as you're listening to it. Assuming you're like in the first week or two, probably a deal won't have gotten done. Uh, But I think there's like momentum to go because eventually the TV contracts, the Bally contracts, the NBC for uh, San Francisco and those West Coast teams, Mm -hmm. uh, the DC. Yeah, they become a big deal. It, like at some point they're like, hey, we paid for this. Can we get something to show? I don't think they'll go the scab route again. I think that was too much of a black eye for baseball history. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we got Millar out of it, I think. I don't know. I I think we see 130 games. I think that's what I said earlier. I'll stick by that. I don't think we'll have a deal for another couple of weeks. All right. For real, last thing. <laughs> Completely random. Are you excited about the new Batman movie that comes out this weekend? I will say... 
no, only because I didn't know a Batman movie was coming out this weekend. <laughs> but I am excited now, so yes. I'm pumped. I showed my mom that trailer like a couple of months ago, whenever the first one came out. Have you seen? I guess you haven't seen the trailer, Justin, but the, the trailer looks sick. Uh, it's like it's going to be against the Riddler, it looks like. Catwoman's in it. It's going to be a good good one, I think. just haven't watched TV enough to see the trailer, I guess, or it hasn't popped up on my little bit of time in YouTube. That's the pro-athlete life, guys, for you. You don't have time to watch TV. I'm pumped, though, for the Uncharted movie. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't uh, either. I know of that one, and I'm excited for that one. I want to see that in the next week or two. I'm excited about Batman only because I think it's DC saying this is our clean slate to kind of atone for our terrible sins of making bad movies. And the fact that it's a solo Batman movie, the first that under this new DC regime that they've had because we're not counting Justice League or Batman v Superman. No, those were terrible. So, And I like the idea of Robert Pattinson as Batman. So we'll see. Okay, that was a lot. But we did it. I don't know how, but we did. Every time. We just get just get through it. And here we are two hours later. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. With, with editing, it'll be a little bit shorter. So, listener, if you have braved through all this, you deserve a raise in whatever just uh, industry or job that you do. So, shout out to you for being here. Thank you for listening to this glorious episode of Dennis and Friends. Special thanks to the two men that I'm staring into their souls at right now, Justin and Josh. Um, Y'all be sure to follow them on social media. I will leave their handles in the show notes like I do always. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this podcast with your friends. Leave a nice little review wherever you listen to podcasts and come back next time for more conversations with people that I enjoy being around. Uh, your listen to this recommendation this week is really a watch this and it's the Batman trailer to get ready for the movie coming out in two days so there you have it I don't need to explain anything more alright until next time be good do good bye bye